Wow, you guys are the good ones. You're the rainy day Christians. <laughs> People come out on rainy day, you're serious. And the snowy day Christians, they rank high in heaven. Uh, <laughs> well, we're in this series called um, Keys to Becoming Fully Human and Fully Alive. And if that sounds odd to some of you that are here for the first time, um, when you study this thing called the Bible, this revelation that the Creator has given of Himself, His plans about life and so forth, what we find is that he's not trying to get people to become religious, but he's trying to restore people to his original plan for them, to be those that fully wear his own image. It says we were created in the image of God. And so it's not about being religious, but it's about living the way that God designed us, and that means being fully human and fully alive. And God wants for us to experience the fullest, most richest life we can, but according to the way he designed us. You know, Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it to the fullest. That's when we become who we were always meant to become, and we do what we were always meant to do, fully human, fully alive. A couple of these keys, uh, last week we, we dealt with the first one, which was um, vision. Today we come to this key called intensity. And... Uh, I'm going to introduce intensity as a key to you with the story of a guy named Cliff, Cliffin Francis. There he is. He lives in for, for Kerala, India, southern part of India. And he decided, being a soccer fan, just curious, how many of you are soccer fans? Can I see your hands? Uh, some of you are, but you're ashamed of it because <laughs> the NFL starts today. <laughs> they call that stuff football but we know what football is we're Americans uh, anyway he was a footballer fan a soccer fan and he lived in India he was a, a math teacher made about $40 a day and he decided he wanted to see his hero the Argentinian star uh, of soccer and so he decides he's going to go to the World Cup matches uh, that would mean he's spent about a month in Moscow so he saves up some money, and he gets on an airplane, and he travels from southern India, Kerala, India, to Dubai. In Dubai, he now has to purchase a bike. Everything's expensive in Dubai, but he found a cheap one, not a very good one. He got it for $700. So he takes a ferry from Dubai to Iran, and then from Iran to Moscow, because he could not afford to get there in any other way, he bikes 26 hundred miles from India to Russia. Depending on how fast he was biking, that probably took anywhere from 30 to 50 days. It might have even taken more than 50 days. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying that that's a great thing. I'm not saying it's a dumb thing. I'm just saying it is. And what it demonstrates is this guy, Cliffin Francis, is a good demonstration of intensity. This key of intensity is something that God gives to us so that we can achieve significant things, things that we would not achieve without this factor of intensity, so that, so that we can gain uh, significant skills that we would not gain without the practice of intensity. And, of course, that's part of being fully human and fully alive. Just curious, how many of you are here, um, you can read? Can I see your hands? Okay, it's good. Good, we have a reading audience. Um, you've already experienced some intensity. You, you took time at some point in your life when you didn't even probably want to do it, most of you, to learn the alphabet. You probably can still remember the alphabet song. 
And then you plodded along, learning words. And then some of you, some of you really fortunate ones, you learned phonics. Let me see the hands of the ones who learned phonics. Let's see. Yeah, man, phonics is what it's all about. Then some sad portions of the audience, you memorized words. Can I see the hands of those that you learned to read by memorizing words? Poor you. When you see a word that you don't know, you cannot sound it out. Now, we phonetic people, we can sound it out. We may pronounce it wrong because we don't know where the accent always goes or, or anything like that, but we can sound it out to some degree. So you concentrated effort and time because you, or more than likely your parents, determined it was valuable for you to learn to read. And you put a lot of energy and a lot of time and you narrowed your focus and with some intensity, you went through this process to learn to read, and you've achieved something significant that still serves you very well. Now, Cliff, Cliff Francis, the bike rider, the guy that goes 2,600 miles on a bike to, you know, Russia, what, what was he being intense about? What, was it something that made sense? I mean, if it's just a vacation or something like that, that's one thing. But does it make sense for an Argentinian soccer player to be that important that you would take this much of your life and dedicate it and use this much of the intensity that God gives to us to pursue something like this. Uh, you may feel, yeah, it's fine, it's, it's okay. Maybe some of you feel like, gee, that, that intensity, because we only have so much. We only have so much of this energy that God has entrusted to us to focus. And was that a good use of it? It's an interesting question. So what I want to do is I want to give you an example of a human being that probably depicts intensity better than anybody that we have. And we'll go to the book of Philippians in the New Testament. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about the roots of intensity. But let's go to the book of Philippians. It'll be page 1323. Are you guys able to hear me? Because I'm having a little bit hard time hearing myself. Okay? It might just be that my ears are clogged or something like that. So if you go to page 1323, and I'm going to just read you assorted verses or lead you through assorted verses in Philippians. And let's start in chapter 1. And to give you a little bit of background, this is about 62 AD. The apostle Paul is the writer. He's been following Christ at this point for 27 years in his life, and he's in jail when he writes this. He's in jail because he just kept telling people about Christ and trying to convert them. <laughs> That's not popular today, is it? But if you're a Christ follower, you and I are called by God to try to convert people. Don't shrink back from that. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't let a politically correct society squelch your intensity. We are called by Jesus to try to convert people to return to their creator in trust. Paul did that even when it meant going to jail. He refused to stop. So he's writing from jail when we come to this book of Philippians. So let's pick up in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel, the message about Christ. The whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in where? Prison for the sake of Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters have confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever dare to speak the word fearlessly. He goes on to say some of them are speaking out more now that I'm in jail because they're just trying to make me uncomfortable. They don't really like me. He says some of them are being sincere, but he says I don't really care as long as the message of Christ is 
getting out there. So here's this guy. He's in jail. He's not concerned about his imprisonment. He is excited, actually, that somehow his imprisonment has gotten a message into the imperial guard, the, the Caesar's guards, and he seems to be more happy about that. There, there's this intensity of focus that we see in the man. Look in chapter 1, a few verses down, and look at verse 20. He says, My confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or I what? Die. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If I go on in the living in the body, this will mean productive work for me, yet I don't know which I prefer. I feel torn between the two because I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So here we see this singularity, this intense focus. He says, man, for me to live is Christ. He says, and all I want to do all my life is I want to see to it that in my body, how I express myself, how I live is what he meant. Christ is exalted in my body. Christ is revealed. People are drawn to Christ as they see the way I conduct myself. The man had intensity. Even in jail, he was thinking about the movement of the message about Christ and others being drawn to him, even if it meant losing his life. He wanted Christ to be the one that was honored. Let's look at another passage very quickly. If you go to chapter 3, and let's look at verses 12. Starting verse 12, he says, Not that I've already attained this, meaning that complete resurrection life of perfection. He says, Not that I've already attained this, that is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. Instead, I am, what is the term he uses? Single-minded, intense. I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind. doesn't matter how much growth I've experienced in the past. I'm forgetting that, and I'm reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, intensity, I strive. Listen to the language of intensity. I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let those of us who are perfect, that word means mature, it's a Greek word, teleos, embrace this point of view. If you think otherwise, God will reveal to you the error of your ways. Nevertheless, let us live up to the standard that we have already attained. Here's this guy. He's in jail for the sake of Christ. He's been a Christ follower for 27 years. And he says that I am intensely focused on becoming who Christ wanted me to be, the Christ-like version of myself, and finishing out the work that God wants me to do. He was not thinking about anything distracting him. He had taken the energy that God had given him, narrowed it down like a laser, and this intensity enabled him to achieve significant things, acquire tremendous valuable skills, and experience personal transformation. And it will do the exact same thing for any of us that use this key of intensity. He had it to the very end of his life. He would live another five years, serve Christ, never lost it. He stayed focused. So what this calls for us to do, because when you read the words of this man, the one thing is clear. He understood his own values. His own core values were very clear. For me, he said, to live is Christ. When the gospel is moving forward, he says, that's good. I don't care what happens to me as long as the gospel is moving forward. His values were crystal clear. You and I can't use this key of intensity well. We can't use this key of intensity wisely unless we first 
have explored, looked at very carefully, and discovered what our actual governing values are. So let's ask ourselves a little bit, what, what do we mean by values? Values are determined by asking, first of all, what is important? Okay, so if I'm trying to find out what my actual values are, my governing values, what's important to me? Second, why is this important to me? Uh, what am I, am I trying to get something immediate? Is it immediate gain? Is it some kind of a pleasure? Is it some kind of a goal? Why is it important to me? And then how important is it? In other words, you know, is, is, it, is, important, is it important to cut my grass as it is to visit a sick loved one? Uh, th those have different weights. And so this is how we determine about our values. Now let me take it a step further. Values are dependent upon an accurate view of reality. If I'm not seeing reality accurately, I'm going to come up with values that are, that are really not trustworthy. Values cannot be arbitrary, nor extreme, or, nor externally imposed. And here's what I mean by that. True values, you can't just pick them. Like Cliff and Francis, the bike rider, one of his values, obviously, was soccer. And so he chose to use intensity and invest a lot of his life in something that if he were to sit down and examine, is that really a high core value? They're not arbitrary. We just can't pick them, and they can't be externally imposed, although society will try to impose its values on us. That's a fact. So it comes down to this, this third point. Values must be rooted in God's revelation a reality. God sees the whole picture perfectly clear. We do not. We need God to speak to us to reveal the truth about himself, the truth about life. He shows us what reality is about. Then we can develop good values. For example, in scripture we find repeatedly we are urged to develop our values based on an eternal perspective, but nearly no one in our society develops their values based on an eternal perspective. Most people in our society develop their values based on the fear of death. It is this notion that we know we're going to die sooner or later. Therefore, what is life about? I guess life is about getting all the pleasurable experiences that I can as long as I can because I'm not sure when I'm going to die. So most people's values, they are not considering eternity. But God says, no, we are, we are going to be beings that have a capacity to enter into eternity. And so our values must include that vision, or else they're, they're not going to be accurate. So before we use this key of intensity, what I would urge all of us to consider and, and to actually follow through on doing is to, first of all, just examine our values. You know, what are my core values? What are your core values? What is important to us? What is the most important thing to us? And Sometimes what we think are our core values, what we might even say to somebody are, are our core values, our life may betray us that they in fact are not. Here's what I mean. We may say, for example, you know, we're, we're in church today, so we may say, you know, God means more to me than anything. You know, his kingdom, is, it means more to me than anything. But then if someone to or, were to objectively examine my life or your life, and they started doing some good detective work to see how we actually spend our time, in particular our free time, what really excites us, what motivates us, what do we care deeply about, passionately about, what do we 
freely give ourselves to, what do we invest ourselves in, it might be discovered that our values that we verbalize are not the actual values that we live by. We might find that it's a whole different set of values that's actually driving our life and forming our character. So we have to be willing to assess ourselves as honestly as we can. Let me give you a few examples from Scripture on some suggested values for Christ followers. In the book of 2 Corinthians, again, the Apostle Paul, he says, our present troubles are, are what? How many have got some troubles going on this week? Can I see your hands? Are they small or big? Probably for some of us, they're big. We might be facing the biggest crisis of our life. You have to understand, the Apostle Paul was a man who knew plenty of serious trouble, and he is saying that the biggest crisis, the biggest troubles that you and I and any other human ever will face in life are comparatively small with what God is going to bless us with in eternity. Let me go on and read the verse. You'll see where he goes. He says, for our present troubles are small, and they won't what? They won't last very long. Sometimes they feel like it. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last for how long? Forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze. That's the language of intensity. It's a deliberate decision. I'm going to fix my gaze. I'm going to become intensely focused. He says we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be what? Cannot be seen. He's talking about the promises of God's eternal kingdom for the things we see now will soon be gone but the things we cannot see will last how long therefore it's wiser to create or develop our values based on an eternal perspective instead of on what time can bring to us in the book of first Peter Peter says this he says so then have your minds ready for action keep alert set your hope how much Come, are they the only guys reading their Bible with me? You are, is that thing on this? Where is it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's here somewhere. There, here it is. It's everywhere. Set your mind. Have your minds ready for action. Keep alert. Set your minds or set your hope. What is that word? Okay. I noticed you guys weren't singing as, as beautifully in the earlier part of the service. Or, you know, it's the weather, isn't it? It's a crummy low-pressure system. How many of you know that even animals uh, react to low-pressure systems? They'll sleep all day, and you would rather be sleeping, eating a sandwich or something, wouldn't you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I understand, I understand. So if you're not with me, I'll just keep working it like this. <laughs> but it says, set your hope completely, completely. It's the Lord saying, you won't be disappointed with this. Guard your heart. Don't hope for things that no, won't necessarily come to pass. They'll break your heart. Hope for something that is certain. He says, set your hope completely on the blessing which will be given you when, and what is it, what is the when? When? That's talking about the second coming. It's saying, Christians, set your hope completely on that. Let your values be modified and governed by what is to come. We Christ followers are people looking toward the future. We Christ followers are people that really believe the promises of God. We believe that since Jesus rose from the dead, all that he says about life eternally is absolutely true. It's been vindicated by his own 
resurrection from the dead. We count on it. I was having a conversation this week with Kim earlier about this, about the way I think about things. I, I, don't, I don't really care about seeing the whole world or anything like that because I will be able to see the whole world someday and I'll be able to fly under my own power and I'll have plenty of money for it or you won't even need money. And so I am counting on a time when I can get to know each and every one of you and know your whole story and maybe spend 100 years just sitting down talking to you because I've got eternity. And, and so I count on these things. I'm not in some desperate search to get it all now because you can't get it all now anyway. Christians have a value that is governed by an eternal perspective. Listen to one more. Here's the same Apostle Paul. And he says in Acts 20, 24, he says, But whether I live or die, it's not important, for I don't esteem my life as what? Indispensable. Most of us, if we're honest, we're, we're driven by self-preservation largely, and that's okay, but there comes to a point where some things are more important in my existence. And that what Paul, that's what Paul was saying. He's saying, this message going forward is more important in my life. So he goes on. He says, it's more important for me to fulfill my destiny and to finish the ministry my Lord Jesus has assigned to me, which is to faithfully preach the wonderful news of God's grace. He says, it's more important. Here's his value system. He says, you want to know what's really important to me? What's more important than my life, Paul says, that I can finish the mission that God has given to me. You have a God-given mission if you're a Christ follower. If you've, if you've been reconciled to God, you've put your trust in Christ, your creator, you're now following him fully, freely, and forever. You have a God-given mission. Yours is not mine. Mine is not yours. Paul's is different than all of ours. But you have one. And for you and I, it's critical that we take that pause at times and say, God, help me to discern, you know, what gifts, what talents, what abilities, what experiences, what learnings, what spiritual gifts have you given me so that I can figure out what is my God-given mission and ministry, and I want to throw myself into it. I want to fulfill it. And again, yours is going to be very different than another person's. We shouldn't ever compare to one another. But it was a core value of this man, Paul, and should be of us, that above all things, I want to finish. I want to finish my God-given ministry. I, I want to be faithful with this entrustment of time and talent and some treasure that God has given to me. And I want at the end of it all, I really desperately, if it be possible for one such as myself, and I am talking personally about me now, I want desperately to hear, son, child, well done. Well done. That's it. That's it. I'm a pretty simple guy if you shrink me down. I'm already kind of shrunken anyway. But, but that's it. Now, now you have to figure out what it is for you. That's a core value, a core value that is held up in Scripture for us, and we see it in the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, some of us, we have a hard time with trying to figure out what, what are our core values, what are our most important values, what are the values that should govern all other things in our life. And, and we're kind of like this New Hampshire driver that I, I learned about. That's an actual photo. Let it sink in there. They had all kinds of furniture. They even had a flat screen TV on top of that van. Now, they evidently felt pretty good about it. You, you know how it is when you're getting ready to go somewhere and, and you're like, okay, do we remember everything? Do we remember? And, and, and we feel like, oh no, we got to bring that too. How many of you have trouble with that? You're, you always pack too much. 
Yeah, it, it's, it's like, no, 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 we need that too. We, we, we might get there and need it. Well, they evidently felt they needed their flat screen TV and a number of things. Albeit the police didn't feel as amused uh, about the whole thing, and they, you know, gave them a ticket and had the car towed and so forth. But I think that picture is what happens to a lot of us. We're not sure. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I, I suspect many of us in this room have never sat down and asked ourselves, what are my core values? What is the most important things to me in life? What would I live for or what am I living for and what would I die for if necessary? And to list them out, it's kind of foggy. It's kind of, you know, confusing. There's so many things we like and care about. Let me share something with you. And I, I'm not trying to say that I'm, uh, you know, a perfect model of anything, frankly. But I'm just going to share my experience with you. When, when I became a Christian at age 23, uh, a number of things started clicking in my head. And, and I had very simple thought processes, and I still do. But one of the things that clicked in my head was that, wait a minute. This is, this is the creator of the universe that's talking in this book. And he is telling me, first of all, that he'll have something to do with me. He'll forgive me for the fact that I've broken every one of his laws imaginable, that I've ignored him, and yet he still loves me. He'll forgive me. And then when I read in this book that he is willing to allow me to serve him that sealed the deal. About two months into my Christian life, I remember these thoughts clicking, and I, and I came to this conclusion. I said, this is more important than anything. This matters more than anything. I will dedicate my life to this. I don't know where it'll lead. I don't know what it will mean, but this is more important than anything. Intensity. And I've stayed on that path. I, I practiced deliberate neglect. Every athlete that accomplishes much, every musician that becomes great, I could go into any field of endeavor, they practice deliberate neglect. They narrow down, what am I going to invest my time in? What am I going to invest my focus in? I'm going to take this energy that I have and I'm going to intensely focus it on what I believe is the most important thing in life. You just have to do that. You just have to. You don't want to be using this key of intensity on a lot of things that you're at life's end, you're going to feel were a mistake. That's not a good thing. So maybe this little video, um, this is a, a little video of something that I'm sure some of you have seen before. I actually did it live, a version of it on stage one time some years back. But maybe this will give you some helpful ideas because you see, once we sift through, once we establish our governing core values, there's still a step after that that we have to go through. So let's take a look at this video. This is your life. Looks pretty full, doesn't it? Well, that's because it is. It's full of all the things you'd be incomplete without. Love, family, food, water, health, your parents, your passions. With all of these things, you could have nothing else and still lead a full life. But even with all of this, you'll still have some space to fit more things. Smaller things. This is your job, your car, your house, money, things that are still important, but if you took them all away, your life would still be full. If you're watching this video, that means you're lucky enough to have at least some of these things. But if you're really lucky, and many of us are, you'll still have some space left over. These are the really small things, watching a movie, playing a video game, sports, 
ice cream. Things that make your life that little bit nicer, but things that are really just trivial in the end. If you wanted, you could try to put these things first. Wasting your time in front of the television or the computer, playing games, or whatever it might be. You could follow it up with the material things. Money, cars, houses, clothes. But then when it comes time to try to fit in all the important things, you run out of space. Some things will have to be left out. And nobody wants that. So keep that in mind as you go through life. Put the really important things first, and then find space for the rest. If you run out, it really won't matter anyways. It's just the small stuff. Oh, one more thing to remember. No matter how full your life may seem, there's always room for a few cups of coffee with a good friend. Most of us in this room feel like our life is busy, and it is. And we feel like sometimes we can hardly catch our breath because of the busyness. And it's because we haven't consciously sat down, done this exercise to ask ourselves what really matters, what, what, what matters more than anything else. Establishing our core values, taking pen and paper and sitting down in the presence of God and saying, God, help me to see what is important. And then, once you establish what your, your core values are, you give some intense focus to those, and that leads to the next critical step. And that's this step of establishing priorities. Because even if I have my core values thought through clearly in my mind, they're not going to have the effect. I'm not gonna, they're not going to lead me to achieve the things that God intends me to achieve or to gain the learnings or skill that he wants me to attain or to experience the transformation unless I put structure in place to see that they happen. We all have had the experience, you know, of making a New Year's resolution. And maybe the New Year's resolution at the time was a good one. It would have been a really good one had we stuck to it, right? But... We usually don't stick to them. And one of the reasons why is we don't put structure there. So prioritization is the next thing. Once we understand what is really important to me, here's my core values. And they're not, they're not piled up to the ceiling. I've got three or four or five, whatever it is, or one or two. Now I need to create a structure. I need to pre create a schedule. I need to create a, a lifestyle that supports my intense focus on these critical core values. Listen to some suggested ideas from the scripture. Here's Jesus talking. Matthew 6, 33. He says, the thing you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what God wants. Jesus says, the thing you should want more than anything else in life is God's kingdom because that's going to bring the desires of your heart. And the other thing you should want to do is, is what God wants you to do because our highest good is always in doing what God wants us to do. He loves us more than we love ourselves, knows what's best, wants what's best. So the thing you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what God wants. Then all these other things you need will be what? And if you read the list of verses that go before it, it's talking about things we worry about. Oh, man, am I going to have enough money? Am I going to have enough clothing? You know, is a job? I'm doing? He says, you don't have to worry about those things. If you put this set of priorities together, make sure you're seeking first the kingdom of God. Let, let me read it to you in another version. But more than anything else, 
put God's work first, that's the kingdom of God, and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. So here's Jesus giving a very simple uh, structure for priorities. Put God first. Listen to this one, and you've heard me uh, share this with you, this one with you before from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Here's the apostle Paul speaking, and he's writing to his protege Timothy, and he says, train yourself. Uh, we get our word gymnasium from that Greek word for train there. He says, train yourself, but train yourself for what? So he's saying, get yourself in the gym to become godly. You know, get yourself in a training regimen. Create some structure to be godly. He says, why? For physical exercise has some value, but godliness is valuable in every way. It holds promise for the present life and what? The life to come. That eternal perspective once again. So we read verses like that and we say, yeah, yeah, man, I, I got to train myself to be godly. It's not going to happen automatically. But what might that look like? How many of you in here set a clock ever for anything to get yourself up? Can I see your hands? Okay. And for most of us, it's probably for work or something like that. Why do you do that? Do you, do you enjoy getting up when that clock goes off? Do you love the sound of that clock? <laughs> Most of us don't. But because you believe that getting up and going to work and having food to eat and a house to you know, protect you from the elements, you get up and you go to work, so you schedule. This is what I'm leading to. You schedule this thing. You set a clock. People who ask me through the years, you know, uh, people that know that I'm, I'm kind of a gym freak through the years, they say, man, how do you stay in such good shape? And I say, well, I just keep walking through the doors. I just keep showing up. Uh, <laughs> And I'm being sincere. I schedule it. I don't ask myself, you know, how do I feel today? Am I going to go to the gym? Oh, no, 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 no. It's scheduled. I'm going to go to the gym on this day, this day, this day. I don't care how I feel. I have, cre I have considered it a value to keep myself as physically fit as I can so that God's Spirit can use me as long as He will allow me to be used. That's my, my strategy. It's structured in. So if I was going to train myself to be godly, if you were going to train yourself to be godly, what are some structures that might be helpful? Because if there's no structure, if there's no prioritization, if there's no scheduling, it doesn't happen. And the intensity evaporates. It doesn't achieve what God wants it to achieve. It doesn't bring the skills that God wants us to have. It doesn't bring the transformation that we want and God wants. And so the priorities must support, the structure must support the value system. So if I'm going to train myself to be godly, let, let, let's just think out the box for a minute. How many think if you're going to train yourself to be godly, showing up in a place like this every week that you're not sick or away is probably a good idea? Can I see your hands? <laughs> you couldn't say anything else, could you? <laughs> you know, it's right. Okay, if I'm going to train myself to be godly, how many agree? I should set a schedule maybe to read this thing, this revelation of the creator that he's given to us. I should probably read it and learn what it says. And so maybe how about if I schedule, I don't know, 15 minutes a day, five days a week. Might that help in training myself to be godly? How many say, I think that might help. And then some of us could put in a half hour hour if we chose what if we thought, okay, I'm going to train myself to be godly. I hear them talking about these growth groups all the time. These people get together and they share their spiritual experiences and they study the Word of God and they apply it to their life. 
would that maybe, could that maybe for some of us, and I know that everybody's in different experiences in life. It's not appropriate for everybody for various reasons, various seasons in life. It's over. But for some of us, might that not be a part of our training regimen to become godly? How many, how many think if you spent a year in a growth group compared to a year watching Netflix, <laughs> you might be a little more spiritual. You might be a little more godly. Can I see your hands? Yeah, you see what I'm saying? This is not rocket science. But here's the, the hard part, the really intensely hard part. I know me. If I don't schedule it, I don't care how much I might say in my mind, this is what I want, it won't happen. It calls for decisiveness. Because I value this, I'm going to intensely focus. I'm going to pour some energy. I'm going to schedule. I'm going to prioritize. That means I'm going to deliberately neglect some things so that this has the time, the energy, the effort. Oh, we hate that word. That it deserves. It does say train yourself to be godly. It doesn't say it's going to happen by osmosis. It says that God wants a cooperative. Jesus says things like hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's saying that, that you want so much to be like Christ, to be righteous, that you hunger and thirst for it. It's passion. It's intense. And it's meant to motivate us to create structure, training regimens that bring it about. Let me share one last verse with you. It's been one of my favorite verses all my Christian life. The Apostle Paul, once again writing, he says, whatever you do, that's pretty comprehensive. Whatever you do, work at it with what? All your heart as though you were working for who? The Lord and not for people. Uh, I've done a message through the years about how to fire your boss. You know, you got a cranky boss, you don't like your boss, fire your boss. Work for Jesus. Go to work. Work at it with all your heart. Every Christian is called to do whatever we do with all our heart, with intensity, because God ultimately sees, cares, appreciates. And down the line, when we've long forgotten, he'll reward, disproportionately reward for our faithfulness to do whatever we do with all of our heart for him for him and that's intensity and that's prioritization of the values that we establish after we receive from God an accurate picture of what really matters what's real what's true what's eternal we have to have that that clear picture that only God can give us before we can establish the values and then once we establish the values we can create the priorities and the structures if we don't do either We'll never know how to use this key of intensity, and we will not achieve some things that we could have achieved, extraordinary, beautiful, wonderful things. We will not gain some skills that we could have gained, things that God wanted us to gain, and we will not experience some transformation that we could have and God wanted us to experience. It's just that simple. God's put this developmental journey into a cooperative. He wants us to want it. So then it's authentic. It's coming from the inside. I want to be like Christ. I want to serve God. I want to serve people. I want to do all the good that I can. That's how God is working in us and wants to work through us. Let me close by giving you what I think is a, a, a counter example, really, of someone that's uh, 
using this key of intensity, but not using it in the way that God intended it to be used. Uh, this guy's name is Dave Freeman, and he wrote a book. Uh, his book is 100 Things to Do Before You Die. And from that book, 100 Things to Do Before You Die, came that movie, The Bucket List. How many saw The, the Bucket List? Morgan Freeman and those guys. Kind of an amusing movie. And some of you may have a bucket list. I don't know. I can just tell you, and I've said this before, I do not have a bucket list. My bucket list is in eternity. Uh, I have nothing that I'm eager. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything in this life. I'm focused toward the end. You got a bucket list? That's your thing? That's cool. But this guy, Dave Freeman, he, uh, he and a partner of his, they kind of created this whole concept. So Dave Freeman, he was pursuing his bucket list. And he was pursuing it at a rapid pace and accomplishing a lot. In fact, at age 47, uh, Dave Freeman had already 50 things on his bucket list. Maybe you've got five on yours or 10 on yours or whatever. But he had 50 already at age 47. And then in 2008, he was at his home in California. And I guess he was just pondering what might be next on his bucket list. And he tripped and fell down. How many of you have ever tripped and fallen in your home? Can I see your hands? You ever, ever had a fall in your home? Yeah, you feel goofy, don't you? Um, well, he had a trip and he fell in his home. He was 47 years old. And he hit his head and died. He's dead. He's not alive now. He's been dead since 2008. His bucket never got filled. But what if it had? What if Dave Freeman would have lived to be 100? What if Dave Freeman would have gotten all 100 things on his bucket list? Would that have been, have been a good use of this key that God gives us of intensity? That we have the ability, the God-given ability to intensely focus on something, pour our energy, narrow it down. Not in 20 things, not in 50 things. These things I will do. These things I will give myself to. And then achieve amazing, beautiful things and, and experience uh, skills that we would never, and then become somebody different. He is a grand example of the misuse of this key of intensity. And unless we get God's picture, his revelation of all that's true about life extending into eternity, we're going to develop a false value system. Most of the people that you and I will ever meet in this world have a false value system. They are living based on the fear of death. Self-preservation and self-gratification is what drives them. They want to stay alive as long as they can. They want as much pleasure as they can. They think there's nothing left to life than that. The bucket list is the epitome, the pitiful epitome of that philosophy of life. Experience some things because that's all that you can do with this life. As opposed to, oh, no, no, no. God says this life's a developmental journey leading right on to eternity. And grand, wonderful things are meant to happen in us and through us in this life. And then it carries right on into eternity. So, maybe we can close with this thought. We all have, we all have this key of intensity. God's given it to us. Now, here's what I suspect. I suspect some of us have never even used it at all. You never knew it was there. You've never realized that if you were to focus and invest intensely, you could achieve extraordinary things, beautiful things that God would be pleased with you and others would be blessed with. You never even knew it. You've just been kind of drifting along, you know, kind of being moved by circumstance. So maybe for you, the thing the Spirit of God wants you to do is just say, I'm going to take this seriously. I have this, this ability, God's given it to me, to harness intensity 
and to achieve some beautiful things, to develop some maybe unimaginable skills and experiences and bless some people and myself along the way. Then there's some of us, I suspect, that we have been using intensity and we're maybe an awful lot like Dave Freeman. All things considered, we're not living with an eternal perspective. We're living with a time perspective. We're just trying to get as much as we can while we can, as long as we can, because we're just like, we feel like that's all there is to life. And so we've never focused on the things that matter deeply and that will have everlasting impact. And maybe today the Spirit of God is kind of telling us, you need to sift You need to sift your values. You need to get alone. Let's come alone, God is telling some of you, and get a pencil and paper, and let's sit down. Let's, Let's see what's important to you. Why is it important? How important is it? And put together what your value system is. And then once you discern that, to put some priorities together, to see that these values stay in the place that they should be and are given the attention they should be given, I'm going to put this structure together. And maybe I'm going to make myself accountable to somebody. Maybe I'm going to ask for uh, some help from another believer. If you're sincere, you'll do whatever you think is necessary. So maybe these are things that God would have us consider. And then if you're here today and you've never reconnected with Christ your creator, everybody's following somebody. We're either following ourselves or we're following somebody else. If you've never put your trust in Christ your creator and become his follower, the first step in your life before you ponder this issue of how to use the intensity uh, key that God's given you is be reconciled to your creator. He loves you. He's proven himself trustworthy. The life you've always wanted, he alone can lead you to. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not a Christ follower, you've never put your trust in him, you've never chosen to become his follower, why don't you do that? Be humble, be wise, be intelligent and do that this very day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you put these keys in our hands. You entrust us with so much, and then you stir us, and you you give us encouragement, and you call us out to things that are higher than we could ever imagine and more beautiful. Uh, How I pray that this, this key of intensity will grab hold of our hearts, and we will all use it well and hear from you, our King, our God, our all. Well done, good and faithful servants. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen.